This week's podcast is brought to you by Massive. That's spelled M-A-S-V. The fastest way to send and receive massive video files. Send uncompressed dailies, locked pictures, TCPs, and more with Massive. Keep listening to hear how you can receive 100 gigabytes for free towards your next transfer. Good morning, Vietnam! Wake up! Wake up, wake up, wake up! You talking to me? What we've got here is failure to communicate. Hi, the whole you girls, boys, and non-binaries out there. This is your boy Ron Dawson coming at you with another edition of your favorite filmmaking podcast that breaks all the rules, Crossing the 180, part of the Art of the Frame podcast network by Film Tools and Pro Video Coalition. Every other week, I have engaging and informative conversations about culture and craft with artists, entrepreneurs, and filmmakers doing amazing work in the world of film and television. And today, I have a bit of a provocative topic to discuss and it's one where no offhand the granddaddy of all non-pc words to say is going to be said the dreaded n-word it's going to be said and used most likely just by me in in this opening (laughs) i think in the actual uh interview they don't actually say it so i'm i'm really going to be the one that's going to be offensive i guess but it's kind of hard not to be and because I want to set the stage and I want to set the stage by, by sharing a clip from one of my favorite cartoons, uh, the boondocks where they have an episode (laughs) where, where, uh, Riley, who's one, I sort of like the little, if you don't know the boondocks, it's this satirical animated show about two little black kids that move out in the Chicago suburbs area of this predominantly white neighborhood with your black grandfather and the show has a lot of uh, uh, provocative episodes about all things related to politics and race and whatnot. It's totally my cup of tea. And this particular episode was actually inspired by a real event where I guess a teacher had used the N-word with one of his students and got in trouble for it. And so they spoofed that whole news item and they, they did the skit. It's a derogatory racial remark that has divided people for many years. And a J. Edgar Hoover elementary teacher has now been suspended over calling a student the N-word. Stacy Renee investigates what happened and why. And what did he say specifically to you? He said, sit down, nigga. Riley Freeman is a third grade student at J. Edgar Hoover Elementary School. He's a basketball player, an avid reader, and one day hopes to spread his philosophy through rap music. He was in class when he had a verbal exchange with his teacher, Joe Petto. But Mr. Petto said it was Riley who used the N-word first. He said, I used the word before, but I didn't. I wouldn't use that word ever. That word hurts people. Mr. Petto claims the version of nigger ending in ger is the racial slur, but that he was using a different version of the word ending in guh that means the same as buddy or best pal. I use the word. I admit it. I thought there was a difference between nigger and nigga. I I thought I understood this whole thing, but I guess I don't. I need help. Whenever I hear the rappers, they say nigger. It's in all the music. Look, look, look. Rap songs that use the word nigga in a positive way. There's tons of them. Look, real nigga roll call. Niggas bleed. Jigga my nigga. Niggas. <laughs> the real niggas 
I laugh every time I see that episode. But no, seriously, folks, this is not a joking matter. This whole idea of the use of this word is such that um, I remember seeing an interview with Sam Jackson where he's being interviewed. This is right around the time that uh, Django and Chang came out. <laughs> and the white interviewer who was interviewing him was talking about the controversy of the term. And you know, this was like a press junket. And then Sam Jackson kept trying to get him to say the word. There's been a lot of controversy surrounding the usage of uh, of the N-word in this movie. and, and No, of... nobody, none. The word would be... Oh, I don't want to say it. Why not? I don't like to say it. Have you ever said it? No, sir. Try it. I don't like to say Try it. Try it. Really? Seriously? We're not going to have this conversation unless you say it. You want to move on to another question? Okay. Awesome. Um... <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't like, I don't want to say oh, it. come on. Sam is so bad. Anyway, it is a serious topic though, right? Like for filmmakers, when is it okay to use this word for artists in general? You have this whole controversy of rappers using it. What if you're a white rapper? Can you use it? What if you're a white person or some non-black person, but you're singing a rap song that uses it? I mean, it's just depending on, you know, where you sit on the political corrective spectrum because it could be totally hilarious or a pain in the ass but it's still a conversation worth having and i love the fact that uh filmmakers are having this conversation and the guests i have on today are a group of filmmakers who are having this conversation and they're not necessarily filmmakers you would expect to have a conversation like this uh the name of the film is called the hard r and it's a short film and it's about a black dude and a white dude who take a drive and they have conversations about cultural appropriation. And it's this white dude who is uh, basically trying to be hard. And he's trying to be a success in the drug uh, selling industry. And his black friend, who's actually trying to be a success as a, as a veterinarian. And they have this conversation because the white dude who's really into hip-hop culture... I guess wants to use this word. And so this film is going to attack and tackle this, this, you know, very serious, uh, topic. Uh, yet the, uh, the co-writer, uh, and executive producer of the film is a white Jewish guy. The other co-writer director is, uh, a Syrian, fr uh, from Iran. And, uh, the writer, director, co-writer, director, is uh, an old colleague and friend of mine named Adad Warda. I've interviewed him on a number of podcasts I've had over the years and I've always respected the work that he does. And when I saw that he was making this film, first of all, like I immediately contributed to it myself because I totally believe in it. But I was really intrigued that here's this dude, filmmaker, you know, who has his roots um, in the Middle East, who's directing this film that was written by a white Jewish guy uh, it's co-signed by their third collaborating partner, who is a black woman. And we get into it because, you know, we come right out. Why are these two non-black people making this film, ironically enough, about cultural appropriation? Uh, and I think you're going to be really inspired by the answers that all the parties give. And I think it's a really great conversation about when we as filmmakers want to address these kind of 
uh, hot button topics and when does it make sense? And regardless of where you land on either the use of this term or cultural appropriation in general, you know, as of this taping, it, ironically enough, Aquafina is really big in the news. She is uh, someone who came to prominence as a rapper. She's an Asian woman. She came to prominence in the hip hop community as a rapper. Now she's blowing up big in all these Disney movies, the latest one being Shang-Chi. And she's come under some fire for her quote unquote black scent, kind of talking, I guess, with a black accent in her hip hop uh, career and uh, not really addressing it. And so. I think this is a conversation that's very much in the zeitgeist. I hope you appreciate this conversation that we have. And again, uh, if this is something that's important to you, really consider uh, contributing to this project. It's currently on Seed and Spark, which is a crowdfunding program for filmmakers. And they have like a week or so left as of by the time you hear this. So anyway, great conversation. Uh, check it out. Uh, and I want to start with the uh it's not really a trailer it's more like a presentation about the film where this filmmakers and this is the promo video that they use for seed and spark but they kind of talk about the making of the film why they're doing it and then after we hear that we'll jump into my conversation with adad warda the co-writer director uh, uh levi gordon the writer co-writer and executive producer and uh, madison lee um, the other executive producer and producer of The Hard R. And then when you're done, I'll see you on the other side. Danger looms as Don, a young flashy white man who idolizes hip-hop culture, hopes to prove himself in the drug trade on a big deal. While Hakeem, a young black man who wants to get out and make something of himself in veterinary medicine, has been reluctantly partnered with him for the evening. This is a deal that will shape their beliefs, their future, and their understanding of one another. It's a dialogue on the intersection of culture and privilege as the two young men drive through the night on their way to meet some important buyers they butt heads, debating and arguing the merits of white privilege, cultural appropriation, all while being confronted with unbridled racism that has life and death stakes. You'll laugh, you'll squirm, and you'll cry, all within the span of 20 minutes. I'm really interested in just hearing about this project. You know, when I saw you post about Adad, um, it looked very in interesting. Honestly, I was surprised because it, it seems like a topic we would not expect to be uh, directed or written or co-written and directed by. What's your like? What's your national background like? Me or Levi? You? Uh, oh, okay. I'm 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 Assyrian. Assyrian, yeah, yeah. I, my family's from Iran. Yeah, right. That's what I remember because I. I mean, yeah. you and I go way back in terms of yeah. all the times we've talked. So, oh yeah, um, right. I, you know, I, I definitely want to get into like how this project came into your, to your purview and how you all got involved. But interesting story. What I, what I want to start with with everybody is, um, what is each of yours earliest movie memory? Mm. Which is the earliest memory you have of 
earliest memory you have of watching a movie and what was it like for you what was what was the experience like um i remember going to a first grade birthday party um for a friend of mine named andy susage uh this was 1989 i think or eight i can't remember to see indiana jones and the last crusade and it was it was a lot of fun do you remember <laughs> how you felt about the movie uh, yeah, I thought it was really exciting, and I was really scared when they were crossing the Invisible Land Bridge. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, said, yeah. I thought to myself, I will never do that. <laughs> never do. So was that your first Indiana Jones movie? I don't know. It's it's my my one of my first recollections of going to the movies. To movie, I'm sure yeah. I've been when I was younger, probably yeah. five or six. I just don't recall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So that was probably, but that you had, had you seen, you don't remember, or had you seen any other indiana jones movie prior to that one i i don't remember if i had seen the temple of doom but i hadn't seen raiders, raiders. Of the Lost Ark yet. i remember that for sure yeah yeah which is yeah. the classic so you know. oh yeah i rem <laughs> i remember seeing raiders i just remember the second time i went to see it and i just remember the excitement and anticipation i had because i loved it so much the first time and mm -hmm. i just remember sitting in the theater seat the second time just getting so excited like it's like it's going to start again it's going to start again such a cool movie <laughs> yes. all right it's madison how about you madison <laughs> you know i've got in a few interesting first memories my yeah. my first memory is peter pan in the, the animated i assume disney animated you know i i can't remember this was many many years ago i don't know if it was animated or live action i just remember the character of peter pan okay and i think i was i mean it's one of my earliest memories i might have been like four or five years old. Right, right, right. And yeah. I just remember seeing it, you know, on my little television in my room, watching it from my bunk bed. Mm -hmm. And so <laughs> it wasn't as much about plot or what it was about. It was just about the fairy and, and Peter Pan. And, and that was it. It, it was very interesting for me. And then we went to see Star Wars at the drive-in. We didn't mm -hmm. watch the movie. We ran around the car all night as kids <laughs> and sat in lawn chairs. Right, right. <laughs> But, but the one that grabbed my attention for some reason, I wasn't supposed to see this movie. It was uh, the Guyana tragedy with Jim Jones. And wow. I was fascinated with stories like that in terms of human behavior and how one mm -hmm. human being could make another human being do something. And right. my father didn't want me to see it. My mother snuck me to the drive-in and <laughs> I was engrossed in this movie the entire time. Right. Wow. Yeah, so was, yeah, so my first memories are just kind of strange, I guess. Yeah. That's no, a good story. Yeah. Drive-ins uh, were amazing. I remember when I was a kid and we would go to the drive-in, they used to have like those playgrounds in the front of the screen, like for the kids yes. to play in before yes. the movie started. And then I remember we'd all play there and then before, and then as the movie was coming on or the, when the lights went down and then the, the pre-show, whatever it was at the time, mm -hmm. came on. Like all the kids running back to car, like they're like they just lost their shit. Like that movie started. <laughs> that movie started. Anyway, how about you? <laughs> how, how about you, Levi? Uh, yeah, I love the question. Great question. Um, yeah. it, movies were just always on. My parents got divorced when I was really small, so just kind mm -hmm. of movies were always on to keep us uh, occupied, and uh, right. it was way of learning lessons and morals and everything so um yeah it was just kind of ubiquitous but the moment i uh definitely remember for sure was just kind of a breakthrough moment was uh seeing toy story in theaters i'm 30 years mm -hmm. old so i 
probably five years old when that came out. Um, but I definitely remember that just groundbreaking. You never seen anything like it. And it was just so cool. Uh, such a great adventure. And Toy Story remained one of my favorites. Watched it like on right. repeat all the time. So I loved it. Right, right. Um, all right. So uh, I'm looking at so the people who are listening to this podcast. They can't see what I see. So you you three are the three like primary creative collaborators, so to speak, on this film, right? Uh, when it comes to the, the the script and the story, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So we have Levi Gordon, yep. who, by my recollection, looks white. Yeah, I'm a uh, white guy. <laughs> we, we have Azad, who we have established as a Syrian from Iran. And we have Madison, who's a sister. Uh -huh. um, how, not the three <laughs> types I would expect to partner in on a film about the N-word. How did, how did you three come together? Adad, how did you come to become the, you're the director, right? Adad writer, co-writer uh, and director, right? Yes. How did, the, how did this all come together? Let's start with you. Well, I think chronologically, uh, we should start with Levi since he wrote the first draft before mm -hmm. he, he connected with me. So yeah. Levi, go ahead and do that. When you get to me, I'll, I'll continue and then we'll connect with Madison. Yeah, I'll give you guys good. the story. So uh, essentially, uh, I'm not uh, even from the kind of the film world, but it's always been such a dream of mine. Uh, I remember freshman year of college, I, I sat in the film studies uh, department ready to switch majors from animal science. Uh, pressure from parents and society, everything. I just kind of went forward with the animal science. I figured if that, uh, you know, I can't cut animals open. I'm a veterinarian now, you know, without a degree. But film, maybe I could get into later on. So that's exactly how it. Hold up! Stop! 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 <laughs> Did you say you're a veterinarian? Yeah. So yep, I'm a veterinarian, and uh, so I went. I love how you're telling this story. It's like, uh, you know, I did this. It is. I'm a veterinarian, and then <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a small detail. Uh, how does a how does a veterinarian, a white veterinarian, right, come to write? I'm sure you're getting to this, but how do you how do you come to write uh, this story about yeah. the root? Go ahead. Uh, yeah, it's a, a great question. So, like, I just had the desire to get involved with film. Like, it's just every movie I kept seeing as a you know about a year and a half ago, I wrote the the screenplay. Every movie I was seeing, I was just getting frustrated. I didn't have anything to do with it, or I wasn't even close to the film world. world. So, so I, I studied, studied screenwriting. screenwriting. I bought uh, you know Save the Cat, uh, Sid Field's book. I read everything that I possibly could about screenwriting, and I uh, just kept reading. Uh, kind of write what you know, and something that was interesting to me was just cultural appropriation uh, that was always just a topic that really um, it just kind of sparked my interest and it was uh, just wild around the same time I was writing it uh, the events with George Floyd happened and uh, the Black Lives Matter movement was getting a, a you know a huge uh, wave there so uh, I just started writing about uh, things that I seen growing up uh, behaviors I unfortunately exhibited during college uh, and just weird, uh, you know, behaviors that I noted that white people exhibit just because of their love of hip hop and rap music and just how that kind of snowballs into blurring the lines of appropriation and appreciation. So I wanted to kind of write uh, a story about that and a, a white character who acts, uh, you know, a certain way and then a black character who calls him out on that. Obviously, I couldn't write, uh, you know, very uh, specific to the black character. So we... Uh, knew that we needed to uh, consult, uh, you know, um, black people in order to get a depth of character for our, 
our character Hakeem. Um, but how uh, Adav got involved, I posted uh, this ad on Upwork.com. Uh, just saying, like, I don't know anyone in the film industry, but I have this passion and this screenplay that I think is pretty neat and uh, interesting. And, uh, you know, he read the ad, fortunately, and we just uh, took off from there. Yeah. Um, I uh, had uh, left Prague the day before, uh, having gone through, uh, you know, a horrible COVID situation of uh, video work drying up completely, um, you know, breaking up from a six and a half year relationship and leaving the city I call home for 12 years. Wow. And tough. in the middle of my, you know, kind of like downward spiral, and kind of just like, okay, what am I going to do with my life now? Uh, I extended myself onto Upwork because I'm like, well, I have to find more video work. Upwork isn't known for, you know, the highest paid, you know, highest quality work. But, you know, I was like, you know, I just got to put my ego aside and, you know, expand my, my search and cast a wide net. And then I saw this post pop up and I was like, this is not the kind of post I expected. I wrote a script. Uh, I'm not a filmmaker. I'm looking for a creative collaborator. And I'm like, okay, this is not good. You know, you know, get a job, make a little money, give them some feedback, you know, do a little revision and I'll be on my way. Then I read the script and uh, it needed a lot of work, but the conversation between the two characters was so intense and so to the bone. And it shocked me so much. I was like, well, this guy wrote this and I immediately thought is this guy black or what is he and we had our first phone call and I, I I couldn't tell speaking with him but I was like I don't know and I was like so where are you from he's like yeah I'm, I'm white Jewish from New York living in Colorado I don't know veterinary I was like wow <laughs> and he pitched it as like a Tarantino Scorsese talk on race and drugs and everything I was like wow so I said okay I'm not going to charge you any more money. We're going to, you know, go in on this, you know, collaboration 50-50 and we're going to, you know, write a bunch of scripts and we have to really uh, beef up the black character because it seems a bit like uh, he's a, a bit of a device for the white character to go through his kind of arc. Right. But you, I see your intentions are in the right place. We just, you know, we're, we're going to have to work on this. We did. Um, and we sent it out for coverage. And we got a really good feedback. But I said, you know what? I'm really scared. This project terrifies me because uh, we're going to get eviscerated uh, because we're not going to speak to the black side of things properly uh, as far as the story goes and optics. And we have to just reach out and have a great diverse team. Right. Um, and I consulted with an actor friend of mine in LA who is really good at, you know, communications and PR. And I said, listen, this is kind of what I want to say. I'm, I'm a little scared. I want to treat this with respect and, and with caution and with care and with, you know, consideration. And he came back with a template. I tweaked it. I said, this is great. I posted several times on Facebook um, and different other forums. I didn't hear anything back and I'm like, oh. So um, yeah, yeah, I guess uh, we, yeah. we like we discussed from the get go that we de definitely needed to consult uh, everyone that we know from the black community. So I definitely consulted some of my friends uh, who I grew up with and just said, you know, what do you think of this? Uh, but eventually we needed someone from the film community also to really give uh, some uh, really depth to the, the character of Hakeem. And uh, that's when Madison came in. It was super helpful uh, for her takes on the character and uh, just to read through it and let us know a, that it's uh, as sensitive and tactful as possible, but also, um, you know, uh, just just not salacious on, on any means, but uh, we're just trying to bring awareness, especially to uh, cultural appropriation. But in particular, I feel like it all boiled down to the use of the N-word was just such a great example of, of the biggest egregious offense of appropriation um, by white people specifically. So uh, that's kind of the character I tried to 
kind of, uh, you know, show on screen and just kind of show shine a light on the back end of racism and kind of like um, the weird aspects that aren't usually shown, but the more kind of insidious uh, aspects of it. Yeah, when I first met um, Adad, it was in the Black Filmmakers Group on Facebook. And he put a question out there in terms of the, the screenplay and that they were looking for African-American collaborators. And there was a, a, a certain amount of sincerity in his post that really resonated with me. And I was like, okay, let me check this out. And I responded to it. And then we got in the inbox and we talked a little bit about our backgrounds and what we were looking for. And he told me about Levi and what it was that they were trying to do. And, um, and so we went back and forth for a minute and he said, well, you know, uh, is it okay if I send you the script? I said, certainly, I'd love to see it. I read the script and I thought it was so well done uh, where it stood, but I also thought that it needed our voice, if you mm -hmm. will. And I'm very passionate about that. I had just gone right. to uh, a brick media conference and we had that conversation about white writers writing for black characters. Mm -hmm. And some of the concerns were, I said, well, you, at the very least, you need a black consultant. Right. Uh, because as Denzel Washington said, uh, he said it a lot more eloquently than I can, and he said it very quickly, <laughs> that, you know, if you are in the kitchen and the hot comb is in the in the kitchen, and that's, you know, when it hits, if you don't know what that smells like, you don't know what that smells like. And it's very difficult for you to recreate that. Um, and so there are cultural experiences that we have that we bring to the table um, that, you know, once I read the script, I, I, I could see some of the areas that, that, you know, we could talk about and have a dialogue about. Um, and it started there. And I, just like you, Ron, when I saw the two of them, I was like, well, this is interesting. <laughs> um, but, but I must say it, you know, and, and especially when I talked to Levi too, just the amount of sincerity and goodwill that he had to, to be able to put his time, effort, um, and finances into such an important dialogue. I thought it was very impressive uh, to come from them. So I certainly wanted to do whatever I could in terms of, you know, bringing my experience to the table. And then we've got, we've got a couple brothers on the team too, our composer and also our executive producer. Um, so that we have a, a really diverse team. Um, and it's, it's actually been a dream team working with them because I think that the organic way in that we came together and we all, all of us coming together with this common cause in mind it is the dream team in terms of a filmmaking situation. I came from radio and I'm used to working, wow. looking, at a, looking at a wall. And, uh, you know, when you have to collaborate with a bunch of people, you know, filmmaking is a team sport. And uh, they've just made it quite a pleasure. Yeah. You mentioned Denzel. And just to give listeners context, if you haven't seen it or heard it yet, there's this great video that's been going around. It's funny. I did another podcast interview earlier today in this same clip uh, came up in that conversation too, where someone asked Denzel uh, something along the lines of uh, a white director, can a white person direct a black movie or does it have to be a black director for a particular movie? I think it's one of the movies he had recently come off of or was working on or whatnot. And, and the answer he gave, he like he uses the example, you know, uh, that oh he says like Steven Spielberg is a talented you know director Martin Scorsese is a talented director obviously those are both quote unquote white directors but he said you know Martin Scorsese you know him directing Goodfellas he's going to bring something to that story that uh, a director like Spielberg isn't not because 
it's a color issue. It's a culture issue, which is the comment that he was addressing. And I thought he did it so eloquently. And you brought that up. And, you know, when you, when you talk about, you know, you said there were a couple of the brothers on the team and, you know, even you, Levi, deciding that you want to go out first to go out, like you were kind of filling two gaps, right? Levi, one, your gap as a filmmaker, and then your gap from a cultural perspective. You know, I was thinking about uh, when Pixar's Soul came out last year, you know, Pete Doctor, who's obviously an award-winning animated director, he did a number of Pixar's top movies. Prior to that, uh, when he was first attached to the project, he kind of went through the same experience that you went through like he realized like this was a movie about the black community he needed to have not just black people on it but like a black co-director so that's how kent powers got brought in and um and from what i read about that project they also had like a cultural committee in terms of providing impact i mean input on that movie to make sure they really hit all of the cultural nuances and so i was curious is that how your team worked together? You know, Madison, you, you talked about the other people on the on the team who are African-American. As you, as all of you as collaborators, how does that conversation practically happen? Like, what does it look like in the quote unquote writer's room or whatnot when you're working on this project together? How, you know, are there any anecdotes that come up where you're like, Madison, where you're like, okay, we need to change this here. <laughs> like, just, you know, oh. kind of like paint the picture of how that looks practically well i can start with i i believe that story really starts on the page um mm -hmm. first and foremost and i talk to a dad more than i talk to my wife we really have this open communication we have a whatsapp group where the entire team is present and a dad as a director um is just so open and that was mm. another thing too and levi as a writer is so open mm. you know i would send my ideas over i did a complete dissection my wife is a writer as well she's african-american mm -hmm. she uh, gave notes as well um and we stay in constant communication and he's always this open vessel for us to just run all of this content through and all of the you know we took a really deep dive mm -hmm. and um and, you know, we, we still, there's still things that come up from time to time. Like, I don't know how much more we can dissect this uh, because we've truly, you know, taken this team approach and we're always in constant communication. And I think a doc can speak more to that too. Uh, Madison is completely right. Uh, we have very open communication, super polite, um, very curious, uh, open to a lot of ideas. Um, and I started off my phone call with Madison asking her if I should be directing this. And if she had told me no, I probably wouldn't have, um, but she didn't. Um, so that was the um, permission I needed, I guess, to feel okay that it was um, uh, all right to take this on because I felt a little um, undeserving mm. uh, because uh, I'm not an activist getting out in the streets, you know, you know, chanting for, equality, although it's always been very close to my heart and my uh, political social views align 100% with what we're doing. Um, I guess I've always used my filmmaking as a way to communicate, but I still, I'm not black. I didn't listen, grow up listening to tons of hip hop music, but what spoke to me about the story was the honesty mm. and the conversation. And so I wanted to be a vessel uh, to have all ideas from everyone who has experienced come together. Uh, and then use that as a conduit to find the story in the right way. And Madison 
was very gracious and very kind uh, to donate so much of her time to write us, uh, and I don't mean this in a bad way, I mean this in a good way, an essay. <laughs> a huge Word document of history, references, idioms, uh, just everything you could possibly think of uh, about Black culture, racism, her family culture, uh, her, uh, I think, was it grandfather who was in the, in the Negro baseball In the Negro Leagues, yes. In the Negro Leagues, wow. yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so many stories, so many perspectives. She talked about how in the early 1900s, there were, I forget how many, like 10 or 20 uh, black there medical were more, schools. More than, more than 20 black medical schools. 20. Yeah, right. and after the Flexner report, that changed things. Um, and we were down to four at that time. We, we had more then than we have now. Right. Which black is crazy. medical what? I didn't hear that. Black medical schools. Oh, black right. medical schools. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah there, there was a Flexner report this, this, this uh, very famous doctor came out with and it was hundreds of pages in this document, but there was one uh, few paragraphs or maybe even chapters about how we should just be relegated to black doctors should only be concerned with black hygiene. Mm. And that should be the extent of our involvement in the medical community. TB was flourishing in a lot of different communities and they just thought it was a matter of hygiene, leave the black doctors to that. And we don't need, they don't need to have medical schools. And, and so several of them closed after that report came out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dodd, what was it? A, why do you think, or maybe she's told you and we can have her answer this as well, but I'd like to hear from you first. Why do you think Madison uh, so, for lack of a better word, gave you her blessing to be a director? Because I think it's very commendable that you felt like if she had said no, you would have stepped down. What about you made her say yes? We'll be back to the show shortly. But first, a word from the people who help keep the lights on. Today's movies and TV shows operate in terabytes. So why do most file sharing providers cap data transfers to a couple hundred gigs? Modern filmmaking runs on massive files, and massive files called for massive transfer. Spelled M-A-S-V, massive is a file sharing solution for those who want to move heavy, uncompressed videos through the cloud without limits. No subscriptions, no complicated IT setups. Massive's pay-as-you-go model is designed to ship big files in record time at $0.25 cents per gig, and all you need is an internet connection. Sign up for Massive today using massive.io slash AOTF and get 100 gigabytes free towards your transfer. That's M-A-S-S-I-V-E dot I-O slash A-O-T-F as in under the frame for 100 gigabytes of free transfer. Now, back to the show. Why do you think Madison, or, uh, sort, for lack of a better word, gave you her blessing? I don't know. I never asked her directly. <laughs> what, do you, what do you think? My guess she can, would she be... She can give her answer after, but I'm curious. What right. do you think? My guess would be um, she probably felt that my outreach message was uh, showing a lot of uh, open-mindedness mm -hmm. and a genuine desire to connect, not coming with my own ego and my own kind of, uh, you know, perspective on this is what I want to do. Just come on board and give us good optics. I really want to connect. Yes, pretty much. Yeah. And, you know, he's got a, his, his passion, his humanity, mm -hmm. and he listens. 
Um, mm -hmm. And I also reminded Adad that we have black actors as well. Mm -hmm. And so they will bring those things to the table and, and, and we've got his back, you know, mm -hmm. as a team, we've got his back. Right. Right. And so just the level of autonomy that he is able to give everybody in their respective positions just really speaks to his character as a man and, a, and as a director as well. Right. Um, you want to give us, uh, maybe Levi, give us like an overview of what the story's about. You know, if there's any spoilers, you don't have to give any of that, but like you gave us a very high level, but maybe come down a little bit closer to the ground level in terms of like, like what it's about. We know there's, there's two characters in it or two main right. primary characters. And yeah. Yeah, so essentially, uh, it's uh, a white drug runner's uh, cultural appropriation is called out uh, by his uh, black partner for the night uh, en route to a deal he hopes to prove himself on. Hmm. Um, so I could definitely, uh, when, when writing, I could definitely speak to the, you know, the white side of everything because I uh, based it a lot off of, um, unfortunately, like my own past behavior, people I grew hmm. up with, especially being from New York. Um, there's a lot of culture just kind of uh, mixing together. Uh, mm -hmm. There's pros to it, there's cons to it. Um, and uh, just with everything coming out, I think there's great uh, progress being made, but there's also a lot of light that could be shined on just the, the more nefarious types of racism and stuff that kind of perpetuates that. Um, so I wanted to shine a light on, um, especially just, you know, a white kid's love of hip hop in particular. And mm -hmm. uh, our white character is uh, hoping to kind of dive deeper into the drug trade. Um, and our uh, main black character is trying to get out and trying to become a veterinarian. So that's where that, uh, aspect okay. comes. yeah. Hey. So, so they're both kind of on um, opposite tracks and that's where the tension and conflict hits. Um, but obviously it kind of leads to um, where the title comes in the hard R I feel like just kind of uh, boils it down to where all that, uh, unfortunate confusion is where some white people use it. Oh, but it's just uh, GA at the end. It's not the hard R. And they think that that's the differentiating factor of racist versus not racist, appropriation versus appreciation. Like, oh, I'm appreciating the music. I'm going to karaoke to it and say it. Um, so just those forms of uh, like little microaggressions almost, or, you know, you could say micro, maybe macro, but um, all those little things that kind of add up to what we're dealing with now, because we obviously have so much more, you know, uh, room to go. Um, I just wanted to shine a light on that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so that was Nicole. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Adat. You're going to say. I was going to say uh, that that was Levi reminded me. That was the other thing I, I I got intrigued by in reading the script. I was like, this is not about cops beating and killing people. This is not about overt things in history. This is about the nuanced stuff that people kind of discuss and can never quite convince people that don't agree. And I've had so many discussions with family, with mm -hmm. friends, where they say things like, "Well, I have black friends. If they say it, I can say it. If they don't say it, then I won't say it." Mm -hmm. Or, you know, if they want to keep making us uncomfortable, then they're just going to keep driving a wedge between us. I'm like, yeah, but what did they go through for how many years? You can't be a little uncomfortable. So this addresses that nuance. And I'm wondering if we can get it out there in the public sphere, how that's going to hopefully make people kind of get together and talk about it. On top of that, when I read it, I thought, God, I would never even dare have this conversation. So mm -hmm. thank God this film is giving us permission to kind of go there. So, yeah. This this conversation of like the hard R and even using the N word or not, and before we get to that, you know this this greater conversation of cultural uh, appropriation. How do you? Because it's funny because I address I I kind of like address this in one of the chapters of my book, uh, which was like a satirical memoir about uh, my evolution as a black man in this country and. 
being predominantly in a white world for so much of my adult life and just how that's been evolving over the years. And it's from a satirical and comical point of view. And in one of the chapters, I address this issue. And one of the questions I pose, and I love to hear answers from you guys is, you know, on one hand, you have like a rapper like Eminem, who I think a lot of people in the community, the hip hop community, have much respect for. And then you'll have someone like um, uh, Taylor Swift or someone else uh, who people feel like, um, I don't know so much, I don't know if Taylor Swift, I can't think of another, I can't think of an artist right now, but maybe another artist. Uh, maybe Levi is good with this. Yeah. Well, it's funny because you, you say Justin Timberlake, because I actually do mention him specifically in the, <laughs> in the chapter. And so, but yeah, how do you determine when it's cultural appropriation? Like, is that mm. versus yeah. appreciation? And, and because right now we're having conversations of not just in the black community, but, you know, whether or not it's cool for people to wear Asian themed clothing if you're not Asian or Native American themed clothing if you're not Native American um, or, uh, you know, all of these kinds of these, these, these topics of aspects of a particular culture that maybe have been embraced by the wider culture. And now that individual culture is, and it is kind of taking it back. And so with this topic, how do you find that balance? And is that, is that, is that something that's addressed in the movie? And whether that's addressed in the movie, what are your, what, how do you guys think about that? How do you all think about that topic and striking that balance? Is there like, is there a litmus test you could a person can take where if you pass it, then even if you're not black, it's cool if you do quote unquote black things? Well, well, uh, I think part, part of the litmus test too is I think you draw the line at monetization. Oh, you okay. make money off of it, like Justin Timberlake mm-hmm. and like Amy Winehouse did when she, you know, appropriated Sharon Jones's sound by taking her band, the Dap Kings, and made millions off of it. Mm. Put the money back into the community. I oh, think that, okay. that uh, that's one of the places that you can start when 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 you're just making money hand over fist like that. It's the mm. monetization of the culture for me. Um, that's one of the the biggest beacons that just says, you know, what are you giving back? Yeah, because you, you you're making money off of things that you you didn't create. So is it, so so it's not so much the monetization. It sounds like it's saying if it's monetized, what you're doing with that money. I'm saying yeah. I'm I'm saying yes. Let's start there at the yeah. very least. Um, you know, in terms of the conversation, the other things are, you know, a little bit tricky. And that's when you're talking about cultural appropriation. If you're talking about the N-word, I I know that with some black people, it's okay for white people to use that term in front of them or with them. I'm not one of those black people. Oh, you you specifically know some black people who don't have any issue with a white person using that word? Oh, absolutely. Oh, I, I haven't met any. I haven't met <laughs> yeah, any. Young, young people. Yeah, you. I mean, young people, you see some oh, of these. Oh, I can battle, see a young person, yeah. Yeah, you, you see the battle rapper videos. You see, you know, mm. all kinds of stuff on social media. I don't, you know, I don't know personally. It's not okay for my kids, but, mm-hmm. you know, they, they, they tried it, you know, uh-huh. but it, it ended there. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but, but, yeah, I think that there are definitely some young people who say, hey, you know, it's, it's not like it was in the past. And, you know, if, I, if I'm at a karaoke bar, and, the, and this actually happened to me um, in North Hollywood. I was at a karaoke bar and this guy gets up there and starts singing this one track and just got the word all through it. And I was like, let me just get out now because 
he's singing it. The audience starts singing it. And, you know, we're some, we're the only black table in there. And at that, at that point, it's time to go. And what does that do for you? Why does that affect you? Oh, if they're singing ooh. a song, if whether it's part of the song. Oh, my God. It was just so visceral for me because I was called that name when I was, I think, nine or 10 years old. We're on mm. our way to a skating rink. And I'm from Detroit. In Detroit, Eight Mile is that demarcation. If you've seen the movie, oh, yeah. you know, so we went across Eight Mile to go to uh, what was called Motor City Skating Rink. And on our way there, we had just moved into our brand new neighborhood and our dad was taking us out for an outing. And they, we got out of the car and we're, we were walking into the rink and a car went by and just screamed at us, you know, niggas go home. Wow. And I, I didn't know what that was. And my father, I'd never seen my father like that. And my mother just kind of grabbed my dad and said, you know, and he said, let's go. And she said, no, let's go in because we don't go in and they've won. And I just remember being so young and wondering what that was and why it was such a threshold moment for mm -hmm. my parents. But that same feeling that I had when I was a kid, it's almost like bewilderment to a certain degree because it's like, mm. God, do you get where what this is and where this comes from? So that's how I felt in that bar. I felt like I was nine years old all over again. Mm -hmm. mm. Yeah. Uh, Don, yeah. Levi, you guys have any, what's your take on um, the litmus test? Yeah, no, it's a it's a great question because I think the film itself uh, we purposely wanted to leave kind of broad. Obviously, there's no silver bullet for really solving or addressing the issue or saying this is how it should be, especially coming from me, you know. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so we definitely wanted to just kind of open up the conversation because, especially when the Black Lives Matter movement was uh, really taken off last summer, it really inspired me to realize um, a lot of what uh, the communication was and uh, like what can we as white people do besides posting a black square on Instagram? Like what can <laughs> <laughs> do. Uh, you know, like just raising awareness about it and being uh, and just knowing that it exists was really important for a lot of my friends that posted all these things saying, I wasn't even aware of all the privilege that I do have and what the differences mm -hmm. are. So I think just starting that conversation was step number one, which this film aims to do, maybe not answer the problem, but at least get the conversation started, because that is, I think, the first step towards getting anything done um, and just kind of raising and shining the light on the more nefarious stuff like the like what Madison was saying, like the karaoke bars, the use of the N word mm. by white people, because uh, there's no way for us to ever understand the impact that that would have hearing that, especially out of a white mouth. You know, so um, when we are exposed to it, it's through the radio and music and uh, positive like things, quote unquote. So it's just it, like does not sink into certain people, I think, to the depth and gravity of it and to really be question on it because uh, I'm really glad Ron that you mentioned soul because that was a huge inspiration actually when I was mm -hmm. reading credits I saw like cultural consultants and yeah. um, I was like this is a, a topic obviously that we need that Madison is doing a huge uh, part on and our whole team just the openness between all of us is really helpful and I had my friends growing up some black friends read it and we exchanged like stories and uh, he would say like one of, I remember this one story that he told me about like uh, how just some of his white friends, as soon as the drinks were flowing by the end of the night, they would want to like they'd put it, their arm around him and say, yo, you're my and say it because they want that ultimate hood pass, essentially. And right. just like I can, and that was kind of a big inspiration, too. And in, uh, just getting the story told. So, uh, yeah, it's a great question. But yeah. Yeah. Did you want to add to that? Adad? 
Oh yeah, I got a, some interesting things I can add. Yeah. Um, a musician friend of mine from back in the day who's part of the project now, Darian, he's black. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to join the project at first. He's like, you guys might be culturally appropriating by the way that you're doing this film, even though you're speaking out against it. I said, you know what? You could be right. I hope not, but you could be right. So come on, let's have a discussion. So me, Levi, Madison, and him had a long discussion. Um, I have to give a lot of credit to Madison for um, letting him know that even though Levi's white and I'm Middle Eastern, uh, that uh, producers on the project such as herself are helping to navigate the story and uh, we're coming at it with good intentions. And I was very surprised by the end of the call. He said, I'm in. I'm, I'm, I'm game. I, I didn't expect that. Yeah, um, yeah, I can't speak to all the reasons why, but I was really happy that happened, that he saw our intentions. And I, I think a lot of credit, you know, Madison's do a lot of credit. She's, she, she's very eloquent in the way that she kind mm -hmm. of expresses herself in this. And she comes from a real, real place. Yeah. Um, I also had a situation where I was reaching out to people for crowdfunding, and I actually got this message back from someone. Uh, hey, Adad, I'm really proud of you that you're, you know, kind of moving forward with your filmmaking endeavors. But unfortunately, the subject matter doesn't really speak to me. I don't believe in the concept of white privilege, and I certainly don't support the Marxist-inspired BLM movement, but uh, uh, good luck. And I was like, what did you just say? Wow. I was like, okay, I don't understand what you're thinking here, but thank you, take care. Damn. So um, we have a long way to go. Um, I, I can't even begin to describe how I felt. I was just, I just, I don't know. I wanted to have a long discussion, but I realized it was, it was helpless there. Um, I think that the, one of the main issues is a lack of education. If you are going to dress a certain way, act a certain way, um, present yourself in a certain way, but if someone asks you about history, the culture, the suffering, you can't really answer, you don't really know, but you have no business doing that in the first place. So part of it is if someone's interviewed, they should at least be able to answer a little bit about what people have gone through. If it's just a stylistic flash flare bling and that's all it is don't even try yeah you know you have no place doing that yeah. and white people should never use the n-word and white people have no business uh on having an opinion on whether or not who can say it and how and whatever when, I, you, you know, yeah. when you say they shouldn't use it do you mean ever or just within like the context of their social interaction so example i'll use mm. a topic that comes up often in effect I've had this conversation a couple of times with some of my good friends on another podcast is uh, this topic came up uh, Tarantino's use of it in his films. You, what is your take on, on him specifically? Because he has, he, he kind of. Uh, he says the, the N word he, in Pulp Fiction himself. Oh, oh no. Yeah. It's funny you say that because in one uh, podcast episode with my friends, we play that scene because we do an episode about the N-word. And yeah, and he says it with the hard R. Mm. Uh, mm, you know, yeah. And he says, you know, um, and so uh, Tarantino has this knack of like marinating in that word in some of his films. Now, I feel like in the context of some of the characters and some of the characters in movies he he has it makes sense like so when i think of django unchained mm -hmm. it makes sense for like leo dicaprio's character right. to use that word um mm -hmm. and the case that you would just yeah. brought up adad where quentin's um character says specifically you know does my do you see a sign that says dead nigger storage 
and it's played for a laugh and it's kind of funny i'm being honest but it, it's also cringy because it feels like given this given like that character and it's funny because in that movie it's established that his his wife is black because we see a scene of his wife bunny she's walking around right. and it's established that he loves her he doesn't want to get a divorce from her but he says this word uh and it I guess sometimes he uses that word and it feels um, like it's, 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 it's kind of I don't, I don't provocative like for provocative that, reasons. I don't like the fact that it was cool. If mm-hmm. he was portraying a scene where someone's doing something inappropriate and right. bad, that makes sense to me. But it was actually supposed to be cool. It's all good. That's, right, the, right. that's the problem I have with that. Yeah. If it was, this is a racist character who uses it in the 1800s or in the case of our film, uh, a racist character, white character who says it because he's a bigot and he's right. power hungry and he's an ass, then you're portraying something in a certain light. For the actor to say that, sure, you have to express it that way. Right, right, right. right. But the idea that you would have a white person say it and it's cool. Hmm. Oh. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Madison? I mean, it's, it's, it's either one of two things. It's like that article, and, and I think you um, that's a great way to describe it. That It's either a weapon of hate or it's a badge of belonging. And there's mm-hmm. no in-between. There's no, mm. in, I think, mm. and those are not my words, but there's mm. no in-between. And, and it's all about intent. And so if it's in an art form and that intent is as a weapon of hate, then, then that's what it is. That's where it came from. Yeah. And if it's within our community and, and if it's this badge of belonging, then that's what it is today. Yeah. But everything else in between is BS to me. Yeah, I know that makes sense. <laughs> I, you know, I've never heard it expressed like that. Yeah, I hadn't read that article, but Madison's like good it. at that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I would assume that Madison then, you know, using those two um, parameters, you know, a badge of belonging or a weapon of hate, uh, the only people who should use it as a badge of belonging are are people within the black community. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I definitely, you know, believe that. And I'm, and I'm very staunch about it. You know, Ron, as you know, just, you know, living your life, racism, mm-hmm. as Toni Morrison said, can be such a distraction. Mm-hmm. You know, you end up being a poster child for all of these things. With myself, right. I'm, a, I'm a triple dipper. I'm, I'm gay, I'm black, and you know, I'm a woman. Yeah. And so I can wake up and find a different cause as soon as I don't even have to walk out of my door. <laughs> I can just walk upstairs. You know, right. um, and, and, and growing up, if you're gay, you're a minority in your own home. So, you know, with, <laughs> with all of those things in mind, um, and, and it's a cliche to be an artist, but if I can approach my activism through my artistry, mm-hmm. that's a great way to get both elements done, you know, to right. make a living, to live my life, express myself, and, and actually, you know, fight against the most insidious thing of my entire life. I mean, I didn't even, I never thought we would have these conversations in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And there has been this zeitgeist of 2020, 2020, mm-hmm. um, that all of these things are coming to the fore and we can at least have the conversations without the fear of losing our jobs. Right. I mean, because you know, you'd be deemed a troublemaker and, and all of this, even bringing it up. And so what I also found refreshing about talking to Levi was that, you know, I have some black friends who had, you know, these white friends came up and said, oh my God, I didn't know, I didn't understand. You know, I, I, I didn't have white friends like that. I have white friends still saying, why can't I say the word? <laughs> you know, and I'm just like, you, you, you're still right there? You know, so, 
So I wasn't as fortunate as some of some of my friends. They said, yeah, their friends are, you know, really trying to gain an understanding, you know, and we went out, my wife, Courtney and I, we were really diligent about um, COVID-19 because we were older and we just didn't know, you know, the ramifications. We, I was the only one who went to the store. We stayed inside. We were wiping off groceries, doing all of that. But when it came to the protest of 2020, we both said, if we're going to die, this is going to be how we go out. Because we did not sit in front of that television one more day and stay inside and see it. So I consider being able to work on a project like this really an honor and a privilege because it's, it's raw, it's honest, it's entertaining, it's interesting. And it's from that perspective. It does come from a place of goodness. You know, there's nothing else, you know, behind it. It's not like, you know, we're not making money off of the project or anything like that. And I see it as a vehicle that we can you know, do something further as we come up out of this, you know, we're doing our short film. We need all the support that we can get, but I see it expanded. Um, and Levi and Adat already have something in place for, you know, an expanded series mm-hmm. and how we can do it. And so the dialogue is something that can continue. This is just the jump off point for us. Yeah. As filmmakers who are, you know, working with, uh, to, to crowdfund this project, what advice which you give to other filmmakers who have similar projects and they're trying to crowdfund? Like, what have been some of the things you guys have learned? What have been some of the things you all have um, that has worked for you, hasn't worked for you? you, uh, You're still, as of this recording, you're still in the process of of raising your funds. Uh, Share some of that journey, because I'm sure there are people listening who would want to know. To put it very bluntly, uh, when you're writing to people, sharing your project, you have to ask them to pledge mm-hmm. and or share. You can't uh, share your project and say, hey, check this out. I hope you like it. Uh, you know, let me know what you think. They'll right. say, it's great. Good luck. I hope, I hope it goes really well. Right. You have to say, listen, uh, can you pledge and or share? Uh, we could really use your help. And you do it politely, but you have to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been on the receiving end of that. And sometimes you just don't think to give. And sometimes mm-hmm. people are looking for an excuse not to because you, mm-hmm. know, you want to part with your money. So you right. have to be very firm, assertive, but polite because mm-hmm. some people don't have it. Um, uh, you have to realize that the majority of the money is going to come from people that you personally know. So you have to be ready to reach out to friends and family. Um, uh, you have to have a good strategy in place uh, to reach out to organizations, blogs, influencers that relate to your subject matter. So, uh, you know, we were creating a list and Madison was really helping with this to create a list, uh, kind of a plan of attack of uh, reaching out to social justice organizations and other influencers and blogs uh, that uh, talk about race and social justice and equality. Um, and you have to prepare well in advance. So most of the work is before you launch, not mm-hmm. not not while you've launched. It's right. it, uh, Most of it comes before. You should execute uh, what you've planned out ahead of time throughout the launch, kind of like a film. It's mostly pre-production. As Levi has learned uh, his first foray into filmmaking, 10 months of preparation, five days of shooting. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. True. So, yeah. For sure. That's what I would have to say. Levi Madison. Yeah, you have anything to add to that as you... All of them going through this process? 
Yeah, uh, I yeah, that was really well said. And from what I've noticed, obviously not a ton of experience uh, fundraising and even just asking for things in general, I find difficult. So the whole crowdfunding thing was a little uncomfortable of an idea. Uh, but just to um, just to make this thing happen, it just you know you have to ask. Uh, I sent out some Instagram posts, and a lot of people responded. Just friends and family of mine. I've been getting a lot of. Uh, positive response from so that was obviously a great starting point um, but it was just really mind-blowing the amount of people willing to help uh, support uh, a just my dream but anyone's dream in general uh, and just the passion that you show will really shine through and people really take to that because as soon as I posted about it I got so many messages from people I haven't even talked to in like 10 years and they were like I know how much you love movies you talked about it all through vet school and you didn't even <laughs> like that stuff so like I know you'll hear <laughs> So uh, that was just helpful, like the, your passion will shine through. And also, I think what really solidified it for people is when I surrounded myself with this such talented group, uh, just like a great director, great producer, uh, like Madison and Adada are just fantastic. We have uh, another producer, Jamie, who's super working really hard. Jamie Olson, um, Madison's uh, wife, Courtney's our staff writer as well. So just uh, like more and more talented people and, and Darian and everybody uh, just really coming together to make this thing happen. That momentum really helps and uh, people pick up on that and give what they can. And uh, yeah, it's, it's been so touching. How did you all decide to use the platform that you use? So you're using Seed and Spark. Mm -hmm. uh, and obviously, there are other ones out there. There's Indiegogo. There's um, the other one, the Escape Kickstarter. Thank you. Um, how yeah. did you decide to use uh, Seed and Spark? And what, so like, what were some of the pros and cons you, you all weighed with regards to that? Sure. Well, very specifically, um, I thought uh, our, our other producer, Jamie Olson, she had used Seed and Spark um, earlier this year for another project that she helped produce. And I think she might have acted in it as well. And it was on Seed and Spark. And I had never heard of Seed and Spark before. So I looked into it and I was like, there's a crowdfunding platform dedicated only to film. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, they got to really be specialized in this. And boy, did I find out that they were rigorous. Your video is too long. You need to share your entire marketing outreach plan. We have to approve it. Your pledges have to be shareable and they have to make sense. And it was so many, your story has to say this. And you, you know, if you want stretch goals, you know, your, your goal can't be that high. It's got to come down because our data analytics says, you know, with your social media outreach and everything else that you've told us, you can't hit, you know, 40 or 50, but you can mention stretch goals. And you're I was like, wow, it's like very rigorous, kind of frustrating, but ultimately very beneficial. Mm -hmm. uh, also helps that, we only have to make 80% of our goal to get the money. So that's also mm -hmm. good as well. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to sign up for the page to, to pledge. You can just pledge mm. and that's it and go away. So it makes it much easier for people to just pay yeah. and go. So don't worry about having to make a whole account and everything. So, so yes, yeah, it's, it's actually been pretty good. Yeah, that, that, that's a, that's a good point too. And I think you also have to have a great message and you have to have a good product. Uh, Adad is an, is an amazing director, editor, and graphic artist, all of those elements. So we have all of these creative elements that we believe that are right in the pocket. Um, you know, you can't have something that looks like you, you shot it in your grandmother's basement or something. You know, it's it's got it's got to be it's, it's you have to be up to the charge. Do the right. work if you if you expect people to put their hard-earned money and or their sweat equity in the project. Then you, I think mm -hmm. you have to come to the table having done a certain amount of work yourself, and and that shows with your with your product that you have and so you know in terms of telling people before you get on a crowdfunding platform 
make sure that you do your due diligence as the dad said, you know, 10 months or, you know, do everything that you need to do. Because once you go on one of those crowdfunding uh, places, uh, apps, the only place to go is off after that. And it mm -hmm. also helps if you have other streams of income too, if you can get with private investors or find out uh, other arenas where you can raise money or enter contests, that sort of a thing. Don't let that just be the only place that you yeah. are. Yeah. How yeah. Do you oh, go ahead, Levi. Well, I was just going to say, and thank you, Ron, for uh, a, having us. Oh, yeah. Money as well. Yeah, so this helps you. too. Good promotion. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> How do you all go about determining like, what the budget will be? Because I think the amount uh, you're trying to raise is, what, 32000 or something along those lines? Mm -hmm. How do you come up with that? Um, Seems very specific. Yeah, well, um, it, the budget is higher than that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but 32,000 was uh, a compromise between uh, what we wanted and what Seed and Spark would uh, accept. Mm -hmm. um, and we determined that if we can raise the full amount, the supplementary amount that we have acquired mm -hmm. independently will give us enough to make the film. Right. We have an Excel, a Google Doc Excel spreadsheet with a, a massive budget, which We'll just keep futzing with and futzing with and futzing sure. with. And where can we shave off? So where can we know we need right. that? Uh, so, yeah. You know. what, uh, as filmmakers, what kind of, where are you willing to sacrifice if you had to in order to make the project? Because that's, know, we're, a, we're, that's yeah. a subject that filmmakers often have to face. We're pretty bare bones, like our producing team, like I said mm -hmm. be, before, none of us are making any money, the directors, you know, we, we aren't being paid for everything that we're doing, our core team, but when you have um, our crew members, we've got to pay them, and we've got to pay them accordingly, these are professionals, mm -hmm. and they've got to eat well, we've got to take care of them, um, and then our actors, you know, we mm -hmm. these are things that are like, you know, pretty much non-negotiable, right? Um, and so we we've got a we've got a, a team that's in place that any amount of sweat equity that we can put in we've been putting in and uh, we've tried to cut corners wherever we can and mm -hmm. so we're, we're down we're down pretty much to bare bones because you want to have a high production value sure. and you, you know you you want to have a good product when when all is said and done. Where are you hoping this goes? Let's say you get the project funded, you're able to make the film you want. Like when's your ideal uh, release date? Where do you see where do you see this film going, uh, and then after that, where do you see the 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 property, the IP going after that? Um, as far as a, a specific destination, like some, you know, competition yeah, or program awards, right, right. Are you going to the festival circuit? Or are you just going to put it online? Are you going to try to sell it to? Because you know, some of the streamers do have shorts, things of you know, like, I know right. Netflix has shorts, that kind of thing. Sure. Where do you, you know, like um, ultimately where do you hope it ends up once you have it shot? Or is it just gonna live on YouTube, any... which is fine, but I'm just curious. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess we didn't I, I didn't think of it in that in those terms. Mm -hmm. Um I never thought of having any hope to sell it or make any money off of it in any way. Um my private, but not now, not private, not now, you know. Um my my <laughs> biggest hope for the film and it's very lofty given that it's a short film is that it actually enters the public discourse mm. and visibly adds to the conversation mm -hmm. so that people address this more nuanced 
aspect of, of racism, which is cultural appropriation. Mm-hmm. Um, how, whatever form that takes, whatever festival circuit or online or it takes, we're definitely going to send it to festivals for sure. But mm-hmm. if it has any impact on the social discourse, I, I will, that's all I need to mm-hmm. see happen. Yeah. I think that's the dream for all of us. That's underneath everything that we're doing. Uh, but I also see the long game. I see it as a pilot concept. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, sure. you know, I'm, I'm just a producer at, at heart, you know, and so I do see that it is, you know, the length that it is, is perfect for a pilot concept. And mm-hmm. you know, with the creative uh, minds behind it with Levi and Adad, there's certainly room for growth with that. So, mm-hmm. you know, after How long- we- mm-hmm. go ahead, finish what you're saying. Oh, after we hit that festival circuit and hit that public discourse and do everything mm. that we can film-wise, we want to take it as far as we can take it. Mm. And then after that, you know, see how we can live in other arenas, you know, like a television series. Yeah. How long will a, will a film be? Do you have an idea? Approximately 20 minutes, possibly mm-hmm. a minute cool. or two more, but somewhere around 20 minutes. Cool. Which is long for a short. Yeah, yeah. You know, I thought you and I go back way back when I've interviewed you for your other project, Sky City, Sky City Haya. Is that something that's still going on? Because, I mean, you've had fundraisers for different aspects of that project. Mm-hmm. Um, and if it is, how, how, how are you balancing all these projects? And I, saw, and I saw on LinkedIn, there's another film that you just did that got- Well, a short film that I, my, short last, film. my last film I did in Prague before I left. Yeah, right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, which I um, think- were you was that the one you were working on when I met you in Prague? What month remember, did we meet? It would have been like summer? October of October. It would have been sometime well, the if, summer if, of if, if it was October? If no, it was, it was in October. It was summer twenty nineteen. Okay. So that was just before we, we shot it in August, the last week of August twenty nineteen. Yeah. So we probably right. met just before that. Yeah. yeah. Um uh, so yeah, that's that's finally got completed yeah. uh, after almost a year of post because right. um, we had to ADR all of the dialogue in the film, which was really exciting. Wow, that's, um, that sounds yeah. painful. Man, it was, it was, it was a, you know, now we're going to get excellent sound. You know, the yes. sound guy for this film actually just, you know, wrote me today, said, listen, uh, do you have the locations locked? I'm like, why are you asking? Well, I have to go visit them to make sure I got the right sound frequencies for each location. I'm like, yes, we got yes. the good guy. Yes. Um, <laughs> I haven't even heard of that before. Right. Um, Sky City Haya, um, uh, uh, an actor friend of mine uh, based in Austria who has uh, a lot of good agents, is pitching the project to a few agents slash producers mm-hmm. uh, who are fundraising for some big projects. Um, I pitched it at ATX. The, I was the audience favorite, but the producer said, this looks so expensive, like it would scare us, even though I, mm. I killed it. Um, right. and, um, uh, I'm, I'm definitely going to make that one day, uh, yeah. because that, that has almost every social issue that is close to my heart in yeah. it all together, you know, everyone yeah. coming together from every background, uh, to make sure we survive climate change. Right, um, right. so that's, that's sitting on the back burner so that when I reach the heights of Spielberg or James Cameron, mm-hmm. maybe I'll even have a possibility of, you know, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, it's so huge, you know, yeah, but I yeah. hope, I hope yeah. I live in hope. We'll see. Well, we can have you back for that. Well, sure. all of you, this has been, I'm really excited about this project. I can't wait to see it come out. Uh, I definitely want to make sure that this episode goes out before your time is up. For time's up. And uh, I think that uh, it's really inspirational, inspiring to see such a multicultural 
group of collaborators on a project like this. And uh, I wish you much luck. And can I, can I say one more thing? Oh, please do. Um, the team that we have, mm -hmm. how well we all got along. Mm -hmm. You know that we Zoomed for months and we never met each other in person until we finally met in the end of July in LA for the first right. time. I met Levi for the first time, Madison for the first time, uh, Jamie for the first time, Courtney for the first time. Uh, yeah. And I didn't know, we didn't know how we would get along. We had dinner, we had drinks, we uh, auditioned, we location scouted. We got along like old friends, you know? Nice. Um, and uh, Madison and her wife even said, listen, you guys got to come over for a barbecue for dinner. We're like, oh, it's too tight. You know, but next time for sure, we're like, wow, what a right. gracious offer. And we laughed, we joked, we talked about life, we talked about the film, so many other things. There's this quality that everyone in the project has, and I think it's why they it's drawn them all together. I feel like everyone in the project understands in some way what it feels like to be marginalized mm. or misunderstood, mm -hmm. or at the very yeah. least, unhappy about some aspect of, of life right. and working on a project that attempts to address at least one issue is almost a catharsis. Yeah. And so everyone's come with a certain sense of open mind, curiosity about what others are going to say and just a joy to mm -hmm. all be there together. So I, I feel like this is a magical team. I just wanted to say yeah. that and thank you guys. Yeah. Well, that's a great way to end it. And I agree. Yeah. It seems very magical. Thank you three. And, uh, can't wait to see this come out and what you do after when the TV series comes out. Uh, yeah. Thank you, yeah, thank Ron, you. And, and it will come out thank as you. long as we keep those pledges coming in at the yes. R&R at Seeds. <laughs> That's yes. right. That's right. So thank you for your contribution, Ron. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, I feel yeah. like we're like on one of those um, marathons. You know, <laughs> they like, well, keep we, those pledges we, we, coming in. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we plan on doing a telethon before all yeah. this <laughs> call, yeah. call the number at the bottom of your screen. You got it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Operators are standing by. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a kid, I once called in and pledged two cents because I generally wanted to. <laughs> and I remember okay. as a kid thinking, because they would show the, the, the number up to the cents, I remember thinking that number is two cents higher because I called in. Because you did it. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway. That was yeah, the only, only time we could stay up all night was watching Jerry Lewis. That's right. right. Uh, yeah, we, we will <laughs> sense for sure any sense yeah. <laughs> <laughs>Thank Adad, Levi, and Madison for joining me on the show. Remember, if you want to learn more about this project and even contribute to it, you can still do that at seedandspark.com. Just do a search for the hard R. I'll naturally also have links in the show notes to go directly to their project. Crossing the 180 is a production of Blade Runner Media and part of Pro Video Coalition's Art of the Frame podcast series. This episode was produced, written, and edited and hosted by yours truly, Ron Dawson. You can follow me on Twitter at Blade Ronner, that's Ronner with the No, and you can follow Pro Video Coalition at Pro Video. Thanks again for tuning in, folks. Uh, see you again in two weeks, and until then, remember, if the story sucks, I don't care what you shot it with or kid it on. See you then. Yeah.